0: Um, We are returning this morning to our series, God at the Mic. We are walking through one sermon through each of the 12 minor prophets to hear God speak to us today in the same way that he spoke through those prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, If you have a Bible or uh, perhaps you have your phone, let's open to the book of Hosea this morning, our next book and our next prophet that we are hearing from this morning Uh, Perhaps you've heard of Hosea, maybe you've studied through the book before, you're familiar with some of the general outline of the book. Um, You should know that Hosea is somewhat unique among the prophets, and that he is one of several prophets that God not only spoke through and gave that man words to speak to God's people, but he also called um, the prophet to live it out. And for Hosea, he called him to live out um, these realities of God's word with his wife, and with his children. So maybe you've, you've visited um, a church that does like a living nativity scene. Um, this was essentially a living nativity scene of sorts. It's a living object lesson that God spoke not only his word through the prophet, but through the life of the prophet. And so you, you may or may not be familiar this this morning with the story of Hosea and his uh, unfaithful wife, Gomer, but what we're going to see this morning is, is in particular from this book is a story within a story. And so we're going to read this morning from Hosea chapter 2, just three verses. This is verse 14, 15, and 16 that we're going to look at and see this story, this smaller story that reveals to us the reality and the power of the gospel in the Old Testament as a part of the bigger story of the entire book and life of Hosea. So here now the word of the Lord. This is Hosea two fourteen through 16. God says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let me pray and ask for God's blessing and guidance over his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have called us here this morning by your grace and by your mercy and Father, we pray that the words uh, of, of the prophet, your scripture, Lord, that it would fill our hearts afresh this morning, that you would draw us back to you, Father. Perhaps we have wandered, would you draw us back this morning by your kindness and by your mercy? We submit ourselves to your word this morning and to you. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Um, maybe you've had a conversation that began this way with somebody I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you want first? Uh, This morning, I have for you the good news and the bad news of the totality of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And because I get to tell the story this morning, let's begin with the bad news. You always begin with the bad news, right? You want to finish with the good news. Number one of our two-point sermon, they said it couldn't be done, but it is indeed a two-point sermon. Number one, our unfaithful, rebellious, pleasure-seeking, wandering leads to destruction. There's the bad news for you and we're going to see this as we as we go to the the bigger picture first that is Hosea chapter 1 and chapter 2 and then we're going to look at the story within a story and slide over to Joshua chapter 7 in a couple of minutes. Hear the very beginning of Hosea, the the primary story here that's going on, not only the word of Hosea, but again, his life. Hosea chapter 1, just two verses, verses 2 and 3, kind of sets up the whole storyline here. God speaking, it says this, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land, the land of Israel, the people of Israel, Is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he, Hosea, married Gomer, daughter of Deblime, and she conceived and bore him a son. So we have here Hosea and Gomer, and what God is doing is giving us even today an incredibly vivid picture of what God's covenant people, Israel, had done to God by worshiping idols and committing a sort of spiritual adultery. Now, it, it, we, it is not enough for us to just go, oh, man, those bad Israelites. I can't believe they did that. Because the New Testament, James 4.4, 4, says the exact same thing about us as God's New Testament covenant people today. God is in the business of, out of love, calling out our sin. Because God's love is a real love. It is a true love. Uh, It is not a fake love that will sort of condone or even hide or make secret our sins or or pamper and coddle sinners. It is a love that calls us out of destruction and into life. The book of Hosea, if you didn't know, is is actually 14 chapters long. It's one of the longer uh, minor prophets. And he specifically, through the, the book, calls out Old Testament Israel for three major sin issues that are taking place in their lives. And, and the first of those is, is idolatry, that God's people had abandoned their covenant relationship with the one true God and instead had begun to chase a false god of the area and of that age, um, sometimes pronounced Baal. Um, I learned in seminary that it's pronounced Baal. You pick whichever one you want, but I'm gonna say Baal for the remainder of this morning. And this false god was a particularly gross, disgusting false god. And Israel, in their heart of idolatry, had wandered from God and said, we want to worship that god instead. The second sin that God calls out of, of God's people is ungratefulness. It says that you particularly, not only are you not grateful to me as your god who has given you everything, you've actually begun to thank Baal instead. You notice even in our culture, we celebrated Thanksgiving recently. If you look at our world, they are teaching us very clearly that that when we celebrate Thanksgiving, and it's fine to to celebrate Thanksgiving, but they make sure that we don't actually thank the one who is worthy of all of our thankfulness. As we walk into our Christmas season, you'll notice that it is fine to say happy holidays, but we stop short of being willing as a culture to actually acknowledge what are we celebrating that the God of this universe has come down to save his people. There's idolatry, there's ungratefulness, and there's hypocrisy. And God says that in your worship services, when you gather in the temple, yes, you are physically present. You are going through the motions, but in many places, the scripture says, Old Testament and New, your heart is far from me. I know I'm not the most interesting guy, but do you find in yourself, even in a Sunday morning, maybe it's just hard to get here, but you, you sit through the sermon and it's far easier to wander to. Now, who is it that's playing at one o'clock? Who's the four o'clock game today? Or maybe it's more about, man, I still got Christmas shopping to do and there's 19 things that are on my to-do list and time is ticking. So pastor, wrap it up. I know you said two points, but maybe one and a half this morning. God is saying to Old Testament Israel and to us this morning, Your idolatry, your your ungratefulness, your your distance from me, your hypocrisy is is hurting me, and it's hurting you. So Hosea and Gomer, they have three children, and the Bible tells us the names of these three children. Uh, Very often in Scripture, the name of somebody is very significant, and this is no exception. Again, if you're trying to decide what to name your child, let me suggest these names to you. First, they have a son whose name is Jezreel. Jezreel can be taken two different ways in the Hebrew, and God will use it both ways. It can either meaning, uh, it can mean God sows, like God sows seed, or it can mean God scatters the seed. And here, God makes it clear. He says, I will scatter the house of King Jehu of Israel because he killed many innocent People. And so God tells Hosea what to name the children, and in naming the children, He is prophetically speaking the realities of judgment and consequence and destruction for sin. Then they have a daughter whose name is Lo Ruhuma, and Lo Ruhuma means no love and no mercy. That's particularly warm, engaging, fun name, isn't it? Hey, no love. Take out the trash. Hey, no mercy. That is her name, no love and no mercy. And and here's the reality. God's love is unconditional. God will never stop loving you, never stop loving his people. But there are times, and this is one, where God will out of love withdraw his love. There are many times that as people that when we choose to disobey, when we choose to wander from God, that the experience of God's love is taken away for a time and we experience the consequences of our sin. Um, God has the right to leave us because of our sinfulness, but what he is doing here is disciplining them. And maybe you're in a season where God is disciplining you. Uh, the commentary uh, by Warren Weersby. he writes this. Uh, this is particularly insightful. He says, one of the greatest judgments God can inflict on any people is to let them have their own way. You ever been there? I'm going to do it my way, God. Okay, that's what God is doing here for a season. Then the third child is named Lo-Ami. And Lo-Ami means not my people. And by inference, I am not your God. But even in this word of, of judgment and of discipline, the very next two verses, this is chapter one, verses four through nine, the very next two verses, 10 and 11, God already promises that there will be a restoration of these three children and of their family and of the nation of Israel. All of his judgment for his people is couched in the greater language of love and mercy. And remember we saw last week that God always does both perfectly. Now we move to the the story within a story. So we see kind of the, the bigger context of what's going on in Hosea's ministry and in his personal life. Now we have this second story that comes out of this phrase, the Valley of Acre, in chapter 2 and verse 15, our primary text for this morning. But what I'm going to ask you to do, if you have a Bible, flip back to Joshua chapter 7, or swipe there as the case may be, Joshua chapter 7. In flipping back to Joshua 7, we are flipping back 1,000 years in Israelite Old Testament history. To the era in which Moses has now passed away, he has led Israel into the very beginnings of the promised land, out of slavery to Egypt, and now Joshua is leading God's people. And God has given Joshua the instruction to take the promised land, And that involves removing the wicked people who are occupying it at the moment. But God promises victory to them, and He promises it in light of obedience. And He gives Joshua and Israel several instructions on how to go about doing this. And one of the commands specifically is when you destroy a city, do not take any of the spoils, they are not for you, that you are to devote them, in fact, to the Lord. Very simple instruction. So now we come to Joshua 7 and verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. How many of you have heard of Achan before? You know this guy Achan? Okay. Achan, not going to win the Father of the Year award, right? If you know anything about Achan, not a great guy, um, made a lot of huge mistakes. So because of his immediate sin here, Israel will go on to lose their very next battle to what should have been a very easy battle against a very tiny group of people, known uh, a city known as Ai. And so Israel sends in half the team, and they get wiped out. And many innocent Israelite soldiers are killed in that battle. And so Joshua comes back to God and prays and says, God, what, what has happened? You promised that, that you would be with us. What has what taken place? And God essentially says that you have a problem, Joshua. There is sin in the camp. If you've ever heard that phrase, this is the story from where that idea comes. And so God gives Joshua an instruction. He says, I want you to line up representatives of the 12 tribes Of Israel, And I will tell you which tribe this problem has come from. And so they line up the 12 tribes and they identify the tribe of Judah. That will be important later on. Then they go clan by clan. They subdivide out and they identify, okay, it's this particular clan. And then they go man by man, household by household, and they finally identify Achan, who up to this point has not repented or confessed or admitted anything that's going on. And the Bible says this, Verse 24 and 25, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold. These are all the things that he stole and and hid somewhere. Let this reality as you read this verse sink in. Every time that you say to yourself, my sin is not a big deal, think about a verse like this says they took the silver, the cloak, the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble? Why did you, Achan, bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them, plural, with stones. What does that mean? It means Achan brought destruction not only on himself, but he brought destruction on his family as well. And that is important. And you may say that's not fair. And I can identify with that emotion, but understand a couple of things here. First of all, Achan was guilty. Achan was not repentant in any way as far as the scripture tells us. And Achan was the representative or federal head. He demonstrated he had headship over his entire family, which is a, a reality that our culture has completely lost sight of or appreciation for, but here is a place where it is being manifest. Secondly, though, you should understand that nowhere in the Bible does it say that anyone in his family was innocent. It does not tell us one way or the other, did they know and did they participate in Aiken's deception, in Aiken's in, in theft. Uh, We do not know either way. What we do know from scripture is that God is perfectly just and perfectly merciful at all times. And here for Israel and for us, we see the seriousness of our sin that leads to destruction. And I'm confident that Achan must have thought it's not a big deal. The word Acre, the Valley of Acre, it means trouble. Trouble. It is an appropriately named location. Sin, unfaithfulness, rebellion, ungodly pleasure-seeking brought consequences. It brought destruction. Achan thought that he could lie. He could get away with it. He thought his way to happiness was better than God's way to happiness. You ever been there? God, I know your rules and stuff, but if you could just relax a little Just let me have a little fun. This seems like a great way for me to really, truly be happy. That was Achan's thought process. But the result was this. One man's sin brought destruction on himself and his family and his people. Not only his, his children, his spouse, but soldiers who died that day in the battle against AI who never should have died. There's the bad news. I have good news for you this morning. Number two, God's faithful, relentless, pursuing, never giving up love can redeem and restore us. And we see this reality in our story within a story here, verses 14, 15, and 16. And the greater story of the life of Hosea and Gomer. God tells us how he will handle our sin. He first says this in verse 14 God says to God's people, Old Testament and New, I will allure her. This is the language that a husband uses in pursuing his wife. I will woo you in, I will, I will draw you, I'm inviting you back into relationship, I'm reminding you that you are my beloved bride. See, they're they're already married. He's calling her back to the relationship, the promise that they have. God's people, Old Testament and New, we have been unfaithful to our covenant marriage promise to God, and God here says, I will yet pursue you. Who's initiating the love? The one who has been offended. The offended party is the one who is pursuing us. That is God pursuing us in love, when we were uninterested, when we played the part of of Gomer. God says that he will bring her back to the wilderness. God will bring her back to the wilderness. This is like a husband taking his wife back to the the place that they got married and saying, beloved, do do you remember this day? Do you remember the vows that we made? I promise you that I love you more today than I did that day. This is what God is saying when he says, I'm I'm bringing you back into the wilderness. See, the wilderness is the place where God made his covenant promises to Old Testament Israel. God made a covenant with Abraham on behalf of all Israel that would come in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, and he did it in the wilderness. God gives Moses and all Israel the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20 at Mount Sinai, which is in the Wilderness. In the New Testament, there's a guy by the name of John the Baptist who will emerge from the wilderness, preparing the way in ministry for one who is greater, whose sandals he was not worthy to undie. His name is Jesus, and Jesus will spend 40 days in the wilderness being prepared before he begins his three-year earthly ministry of declaring the good news of the gospel of salvation for sin salvation from judgment, that he is the Lamb of God. It's the same place. I will bring you back to the wilderness. Then God says in verse 15, the beginning of verse 15, I will give her her vineyards. So again, she, whether it's Gomer running from Hosea or it's God's people running away from God, she has run away from a relationship. She's run away from real joy. She's left behind real satisfaction in exchange for something lesser. She has left the, the promised land. See, that's why it says, I will give her her vineyards. She already has the promises of God. She already has relationship with God, but, but we wander away sometimes, and we, we forget that all good things come from God, and we think, well, maybe if I try this thing over here, it will somehow be better, and it doesn't work. So now back to Hosea writing about Gomer. This is Hosea chapter two and verse five. Hosea speaking about Gomer As a mother to his children, he says this, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them, the children, in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. So Gomer chased bad dudes who couldn't deliver what they promised. It's a picture of sin. We chase bad dudes who cannot deliver what what they promise. But three verses later, Hosea chapter two and verse eight, still Hosea talking about Gomer, says, and she did not know that it was I. It was me who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. She didn't know that even when she was run away, I found her. And I provided the things that she needed, even in her darkest moments. Believer, even in your darkest moments, God has not left you. He has not forgotten about you. He is still giving you what you need, even if you don't know it or appreciate it, even if you give thanks to the Baals of this world. Hosea never stopped loving or providing for his wife, Gomer, even though she was unfaithful. And I can imagine I put myself humanly in that perspective. It's like, wait, I want the credit. You should know what a great guy I am. You should know all the the ways that I'm, I'm doing things for you. And God is not looking for the credit. He's looking for you. Even when Gomer ran away, even when we have run away, God is still there pursuing. And the Baals of this world and the idols that we chase and the sins that we pursue, looking for something to satisfy, they will never give you what you need or what they have promised. See, God loves you. God loves all of his creation. He lovingly, meticulously, kindly, carefully created every single one of you. Every single person. He made them. He made them well. He not only created you, he sustains you. He gives you everything that you need. The food and drink that you have this day, it came from God. Theologically, we call that common grace, that God is good and kind to all of his creation and loving to all of his creation. But God has made something even better. God has offered you something even greater, a restored, eternal relationship where he will, by his grace, remove the stain and the disruption and the hurt and the devastation of sin from us. A way to be, to be done with the bad news of sin. A way to be done with the bad news of destruction. A way to be done with the storyline of Achan and to have something new. See, God says two very important things here through this passage, and and these are really the two key words for the remainder of our time together. The first is God says to his people, I will redeem. I will redeem. If we skip ahead a chapter to Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we get another living definition of what this means. Again, the Hosea and the Gomer story is our our illustration. Hosea 3. The Lord said to me, to Gomer, uh, sorry, to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, how, how do I do that, Lord? Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. That's how. The relentless, redeeming love. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, how ironic is that? I mean, raisins are good and all, but okay. Verse 2, so Hosea, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Hosea had to buy his wife back out of her self-imposed slavery from another evil man. And it is a slavery that she chose to redeem. Old Testament, New Testament, the word redeem means to buy back. To redeem is to buy someone or something back. And, and this should jump off the page at you. Gomer did not cost much 15 shekels and some barley is not much. We would use a phrase today like she had cheapened herself. But understand when it comes to you and God, you cost a lot. You cost everything. Jesus gave up everything for you. God the Father gave up his one and only son for you. It cost him everything. Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross for you. It cost him everything. It's not something you can buy with silver or gold. There's not enough Bitcoin in the world, right, to be able to buy this. It cost the precious blood of Jesus spilled on our behalf. Hosea bought Gomer's life back, her freedom back. Jesus bought your life back, your freedom back. So if you are in Christ today, you have been redeemed, you have been bought back by the precious blood of Jesus. And and if you are here this morning as a seeker and you're, you're, you're listening and you're considering, but you've never asked God to be your Lord and Savior, the offer, the promise of God's love is there for you. This story really teaches us a whole lot about marriage too, doesn't it? A whole lot of very practical implications as we think about husbands and wives being married. See, marriage is a covenant promise. The word covenant, it, it means an unbreakable promise. And so it should not easily be broken. So when somebody's crazy enough to ask me to do their premarital counseling, there are a couple of key ideas that I try to get across right away with this googly-eyed happy boy and girl and talk to them about these realities. And and here's the couple, this is like the three-point sermon that I want you to take away. If we get three or four sessions together, this is what I want you to know. One, you are a way bigger sinner than you can possibly imagine. And when you get married, you're gonna find out. Two, the person that you are about to marry is also a way bigger sinner than you ever imagined. And you are about to find out. There's bad news. Three-point sermon, right? Number three, Jesus is a way better savior than you can possibly imagine. And when you, in this sanctifying, beautiful experience in which the love of Jesus for his church is expressed in the way that you husbands and wives love each other, you're going to see the only way that this works. You will find flourish in your love and kindness for one another as you are amazed by how much Jesus loves you. And when you go, man, Jesus has forgiven me a whole lot. I can forgive her. I can forgive him. That is the the love of Jesus on display. And let me be clear. There are biblical reasons for divorce. There are three, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. I'm not saying that those categories do not exist. But what we're celebrating here is what we see like in Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, how do I love my spouse? How to love my children sacrificially, giving myself up in love for another? And every husband and wife can have that same kind of pursuing, relentless love. Because if you've been married for more than five minutes, I promise you have something that you can hold over that other person's head, don't you? What we pursue we love. just went dead. So we're going to switch. Not today, Satan. (laughs) Finally, God says to his people, I will restore. I will restore. I will redeem and I will restore. Look at Hosea 2.15, the first part again. Key phrase, God says, there I will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. See, God turned the valley of trouble Into a door of hope. The valley of Acre, where Achan and his family experienced God's just wrath for sin, will be changed into a doorway of eternal hope and restoration from sin's curse. So, what does that mean? Have you made mistakes? Have you committed sins in secret? Have you committed sins in public? Do you have a broken story? Whether you've run to the idols of our particular culture, drugs, pornography, alcohol, food, gambling, shopping, whatever it might be that you've put in place of God, God can heal. God can restore you today. Are you a part of a broken marriage? God can restore your broken marriage. Have you been an absentee father? Have you been a neglectful mother? God forgives you today? And not only that, if you ask him, he can change you. He can heal you. He can grow you. He can sanctify you. He can fix what is broken within us. Have you ruined a relationship by falling into some sort of sexual sin? God is in the business of rewriting stories. God is in the business of taking what looks hopeless and bringing hope and bringing life. Maybe you've made some lousy decisions i tell you this morning that god's love is unconditional that for his people there is no sin that he cannot or will not forgive and if you've never experienced that grace all you have to do is ask all you have to do is bring your nothing all we contribute to our salvation is our sin just trust him in faith today maybe you've you've done something that that is worthy of you being put in jail. Understand that God's love will meet you there. Maybe you've put yourself in your own sort of prison. God's love will meet you there. It's the reality of this story within the story. Not only was, was Hosea and Gomer restored, the children were restored. In chapter two, we're told that Jezreel's name was changed, that it no longer meant God scatters, but it meant that God will sow, New seed. No longer was it Lo-Ruhuma, not my people, but she was renamed my people, children of the living God. No longer was he named Lo-Ami, no mercy. He was renamed, you have received mercy. J.R.R. R. Tolkien in his book, Return of the King, after the, uh, the dastardly ring of power has been destroyed in the fires of Mordor, our character Sam awakens he's shocked to find that he's even still alive he looks over and he asks the question of Gandalf and this is the question that he asks he says is everything sad going to come untrue think about that is everything sad going to come untrue See, we can all see that there's something profoundly wrong in the world. And we have a hope that this sadness that we see, that this curse from sin, and that that we await a redemption and a restoration. Um, Alana and I, Alana is away for the weekend celebrating 40th birthday with her sister Gina. Uh, Alana and I have two um, engagement stories. Uh, If you didn't know that about us, we have two engagement stories. We love both stories. Um, The first, we got engaged in June of 2011, uh, but God in his kindness showed us both that we both really needed to mature big time, and so he broke us up. Um, Our year apart was absolutely the worst year of my life. Um, Alana told me to tell you that uh, one time when we were broken up, um, we met at Starbucks to kind of talk through some things, and she looked at me and she goes, you look really bad, (laughs) like really, really skinny, bad, and um, she was right, so I went home, I stepped on the scale, at that particular moment, I weighed 122 pounds, um, six feet tall, I had dropped like 45 pounds just in, in hurt over all of that was going on, Um, so to say it was the worst year of my life is an understatement, but God was working, God was restoring, God was doing what only he can do by his Holy Spirit in both of our lives separately, such that in his perfect and good timing, uh, he led me to get ready to propose a second time. So I uh, I took our youth group on a missions trip to Manhattan, New York City area, and actually more Brooklyn area, and I had a secret ploy and so invited her to come up and visit for a part of that missions trip. And uh, my intention was to propose to her on the Brooklyn Bridge at night. Uh, By the way, she said yes, just in case you were wondering. So before we go out to the Brooklyn Bridge for me to propose, um, I had a friend who was uh, the Young Adults Director at Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in Brooklyn. And so we took the youth group, Alana and I, and we went to this worship service. And do you know that that evening, the pastor preached on Hosea, chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 i'd never heard that passage before or never really understood what that so he he just dove into what you've just heard that i can take your valley of acre and turn it into a doorway of hope and i've got this diamond engagement ring burning a hole in my pocket and i'm just praising jesus she had to be like why is he so happy but I was so grateful seeing the reality of Scripture that it just played out in a testimony of our last year apart. And then we went out to that Brooklyn Bridge, and I said, Will you marry me? And she said, Yes. God can restore you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think you've done. I don't care if you think it's too bad. God can restore you. And all you have to do is ask. That's why it's one of the reasons why our church is named what it is, New City Church, because of the multitude of amazing promises that Jesus makes, He makes one particular promise in Revelation twenty-one five when He says, "Behold, I am making all things what new." Yeah. See, Jesus is a better father than Achan ever was. Right? He's a better brother. He's a better friend. He's a better federal head than Achan ever could be, because Achan is a little Adam. Go back, to the very beginning, right? Adam and Eve. Achan is a picture of Adam. And the Bible says that Jesus is the second Adam. Listen to Romans chapter 5. This is verse 12 and 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Achan rebelled and he brought destruction on himself and his family. He brought trouble on everyone. He pushed his trouble onto other people. He made victims out of other people. But there is another, isn't there? From the tribe of Judah, who the Bible calls the second Adam, who came down to us in love at Christmas time. Jesus, the sinless son of God, who willingly took upon himself our sin and the destruction that we deserved. Achan pushed it on others. Jesus who was innocent, took our guilt upon us. Jesus took our trouble upon himself. John 17, Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, now is my soul troubled, is what Jesus said. And what shall I say, Father? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus didn't shrink back from the moment either, did he? He stepped into destruction for us. He allowed his own people who had rejected him to nail him to a cross. And when he could have ended that scene in an instant, he stayed on that cross. And he died the death that you and I deserve so that you and I can experience the eternal life that he offers. He's invited you to be with him forever. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you heavy laden this morning? Do you have a burden this morning? God will give you rest. Is our kiddos pitter-patter in? Let's talk to God together.